0: plus
1: it's time for cover two broncos just a couple dudes breaking down scheme film and the numbers now your hosts joe rowles and jeff essery welcome back to another episode of cover two broncos i'm jeff essery
0: And I'm Joe Rowles. Quick reminder that if you have any questions about the Broncos, shoot them over to us at JoroNFL, at Jeffrey Esri, or at Cover2Broncos on Twitter, and we will be happy to get to them. So what do we got going on today, Jeff?
1: Yeah, so uh, leading after the draft, we put out a poll and asked fans and you listeners what you wanted to hear more about this offseason. And over and over, we kept seeing defense was a topic that kept coming up. So... We started out the conversation around Denver's defense a couple weeks ago with a look at how they could stop Mahomes and the Chiefs. If you haven't listened to that episode, you can go check it out. It's one of the most depressing episodes that you'll listen to on Cover 2 Broncos. But we started there of Denver's really their biggest defensive challenge of how they would potentially solve that. Um, the last couple of weeks, we've taken a couple detours, joined by some great guests. We've covered Garrett Bowles. Um, we had Pro Football Focus on to talk about their grading of Garrett Bowles. We had a great breakdown from Derek Claussen of Football Outsiders on Drew Locke. So some great content, some great guests, and we really appreciate their time over the last couple weeks. But now we're actually going to be trying to shift back into the topic at hand and dig into Denver's defense and get to all your questions on them. And specifically, and, and Joe and I, you know, we've been going back through, if you've seen Joe's Twitter feed, you'll see it littered with all kinds of um, clips of the defense that we've been digging into the film on over the last week or so. And um, specifically what we're trying to do today is reverse engineer the potential of the defense by looking at the areas where they struggled the most last year. And the logic being that if you fix or improve those areas without adding new ones, they should be a lot better than what we saw last year, which was about a middle-of-the-road defense.
0: And so before we get to those issues, I think let's set up where Fangio inherited the defense or what Denver looked like heading into 2019.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I think I was actually a little surprised just because as the season goes on, you kind of forget and until you really look back and it feels like there was like three or four seasons packed into one last year because of all the different shifts and changes and the quarterback changes and all of that. But I kind of forget where Denver started on defense with, particularly in the secondary, I think, with Vic Fangio coming in and the amount of newness that they had in the secondary after Bryce Callahan went down. Well, one, they brought in Bryce Callahan. But after he went down, they lost Darian Stewart and Bradley Roby that offseason. They kept Chris Harris and Justin Simmons. And those were really the two starters that remained from the previous group. And so they brought in Kareem Jackson, who was new. And then you saw him go out throughout training camp and Bryce Callahan was hurt. And they brought in Duke Dawson and Devontae Harris. I had forgot they came in in August. So they were, they were barely jumping in in the preseason. It was after the cuts that they brought them in, or they traded for Duke Dawson from the Patriots, who was a second round pick. And both of those guys were, rookies in 2018 so they're second year guys who have just been traded they didn't have an off season they weren't in the installs and they're having to learn a defense which we've talked about before is one of the most complex defenses um chris harris talked about it it was one of the harder defenses in the nfl to pick up so i think that's just a good level set and i, and I know we'll get into this more but that, that was just something that i had forgotten joe that i think is a good thing to bring up
0: it's worth kind of mentioning the fact that like you look back at the competition at safety through training camp up until like the final days of the preseason last year. And at one point it looked like it was going to be Will Parks and Justin Simmons starting at safety. And then behind them was Trey Marshall, Sua Cravens, Jamal Carter, DeMonte Thomas, and Shamarco Thomas. So, and at the end of, and at the end of the preseason last year, and and again, you and I were talking about this before, but I don't think I've ever seen a, a team cut their roster so far below 53. And that's exactly what Fangio and Elway did is, with about a week and a half before the season started, they went down to, I think it was 48 players. They cut basically the entire safety group outside of Parks, Simmons, and Marshall, and they brought in Duke Dawson. They brought in Devontae Harris. They trained for, and then on offense, they did some things too. They brought in Brandon Allen, all the, some other players. But it, it was really a sign to me that Fangio inherited some players that he did not see as clear fits for his scheme. And he was, willing to kind of bring in new talent even though they are new to the system altogether rather than roll what what he had from the previous regime and that's that's kind of telling and it kind of showed i think is there there was growing pains there was a lot of growing pains throughout the entire season
1: yeah and i think you know before we jump into the major issues but i mean everybody who watched the defense knows that that's one of the, the most of the major issues at least that i saw on tape were probably caused by a lot of that newness from the secondary perspective and also just newness in the scheme. And so you had young guys, which in the second year is really encouraging because you look across that secondary now. And aside from AJ Boye and Kareem Jackson, everybody else is young guys. You know, Simmons is, mm-hmm. he's a, essentially a vet at this point, but he's still a young player. And the rest of the guys are all young and potentially, hopefully growing. Um, not sure as much about, Isaac Yadam and what we saw from him last year. But I think guys like Devontae Harris and Duke Dawson, the jury's really still out on them in terms Mm -hmm. of what they can bring because they haven't, they never had an off season in Fangio system. So I've I've seen an interview recently with Duke Dawson and both, both he and Devontae Harris were on uh, Broncos country tonight with Benjamin Albright and, Um, Ryan Edwards. And Dawson was talking about how just it felt good to have this offseason to kind of catch up. And he feels really confident going into this season, which he didn't have the year before, just because he didn't have an offseason to get into it. And so I think you combine the newness of the secondary along with the newness of the coaching staff and really installing a new defense. There's always growing pains from that perspective. And it overlapped, I think, with what we saw on the field. But going into 2020, you're not going to have that, hopefully, because you've got, if Bryce Callahan is healthy, you've got a guy who had experience in the scheme. Kareem Jackson, We, we you also mentioned this a little bit, but Kareem Jackson didn't start out at safety last year. He played mm-hmm. the first four games at nickel. And so that was another shift that they had. You brought in a guy in Alex, um, Alexander Johnson midway, or four games into the season as well. And so... There was a lot of shifting and moving around going on really throughout the season on the defensive side. So, to me, when you look at their DVOA being kind of middle of the pack and they were really good in the red zone, you know, they're kind of that bend but don't break mentality. I was actually really impressed with what the defense did last year with what they had.
0: Me too. And, and I think it can't really be undersold how big a, how big kind of how big of a hill it is to climb for a guy like Duke Dawson. Cause I remember back when he was first acquired the local media asked Fangio like, Oh, well how, how do you get him up to speed? And I remember Fangio saying something along the lines of, well, we're in the season now. So it's just kind of on him to, to learn the system and be ready to go. But then because of injuries and then just because of like the overall shifting around of the whole entire defense, he ended up seeing significant playing time by week five and same thing with Alexander Johnson, Alexander Johnson basically didn't play other than special teams until week five. And last year he, he'd come from out of football. So I, I, it seems, it sounds easy just because with Alexander Johnson, he was so good, but he definitely had some growing pains. And that's something you and I have talked about that doesn't necessarily show up in his like pro football focus grade, but you definitely do notice like there's times where he doesn't know, like he's looking to Todd Davis or looking to somebody else to get his assignment as the play is getting ready to start. And again, like kudos to him for still being able to play just on instinct that well. But that is something that you can kind of hope he will improve with an entire offseason to prepare like he's the starter now. But it definitely showed up in last year's performance. There are definitely plays, especially against the Chiefs, I definitely saw it, where like the opposing coordinator can take advantage of the fact that Fangio has to try and protect his young players who don't necessarily know the defense inside and out.
1: Yeah, and you look at the cornerback position, and I think it was really pronounced there because of mm-hmm. the fact that, and you mentioned Duke Dawson coming in and having to learn on the fly, Kareem Jackson had to shift to safety. And so, one, he was learning, he learned two positions really all throughout camp. We heard about him kind of working back and forth between the two. But Kareem Jackson had never played safety before. He was a corner all, pre, I mean, he played some safety with the Texans his final year before he came over but he had never played safety in Fangio's defense. So as good as he looked last year, he was still semi-new. Go ahead.
0: And, and, and I want I to talk just for a second about that because I think that is something – we'll probably get into this more when we talk secondary. But Fangio's defense is quite a bit different than most NFL defenses too. And I think that's one of those things, Like even though Kareem Jackson did play safety for some, some snaps with the Texans, coming over from the Romeo Cornell defense to Vic Fangio's, it's still a pretty big shift, um, because Romeo Cornell doesn't run as much too high shell as Fangio does, and he puts more on the safety's plate mentally than, at least from what I've seen, most other defenses in the NFL. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I think Justin Simmons made such a big jump is because that fits his skill set. But also, like for someone like Kareem Jackson making a shift and having to kind of like learn it while he's learning another position in the defense, that's a lot. Even for a veteran, that's a lot to ask of a guy to learn two positions like that. So you got to give him a lot of credit. And again, Kareem Jackson played really well, but that is a reason to believe that like, even as like, even at 32, there is a reason to believe Kareem Jackson will look better this year for the fact that he knows what he's doing now.
1: Yeah. And I think you look across the entire, really the entire defense. So many things didn't go as planned for the Broncos. I mean, starting out with Bradley Chubb tearing his ACL, that certainly wasn't in the cards or it wasn't in the, um, the plan that they had built and so they had to really fill at outside linebackers so you saw some growing pains and we'll talk about this too just from the pass rush perspective but also in the run game as well as you saw them kind of rotating out Malik Reed, Justin Hollins and Jeremy Itachu as well. So you're getting Bradley Chubb back for this next season too. And again, I don't I don't want to oversell it too much but I think just you can't on paper look at all the things that Denver didn't have this previous season that they're going to have this year and not get excited about the potential because of the fact that even if Bryce, Bryce Callahan is still in and out, you know, they expected him to play last year. He didn't. They expected Devontae Bosby to come in and play some more, and he ended up getting hurt. And then they, I imagine, because of the fact that Isaac Yadam was starting to start the season, they expected him to continue to grow, and he ended up having to get benched a couple different... They went back and forth on him a couple times, and so really, Devontae Harris and Duke Dawson were just kind of thrown into the wolves, and now they actually have a chance to get in the mix and develop with these guys, and so you've got guys across the board that are going to have not only the entire defense guys like Vaughn Miller and stuff who are now going to have a second year in Fangio system, but you're going to have guys that have a second year in Fangio system and just a second year to breathe and develop and that were coming in really cold last year.
0: Well, and I, and I think, and you just touched on it, but it's important to kind of take a note of the fact that at no point, After training camp, did the Broncos actually have what their original defense was going to, what they planned to have? And again, that's the NFL. A lot of teams go through that. But essentially, Denver's getting an $8 million slot cornerback back as long as Bryce Callahan can return to what he looked like in 2018. Because in 2018 with the Bears in Fangio's defense, Bryce Callahan was one of the best slot corners in football. And if Denver can get even like 85% of that player back, that's a huge addition this year. And then you look at the fact that, and, and we forget about this just because, he, again, Todd Davis is quietly steady to the point where you almost forget about him until you don't forget about him. But Todd Davis was hurt, I think, on the first, it was the first week of training camp last year. And then he came back, but in the first couple of games of the year, Denver did not have a healthy Todd Davis. And throughout the year, like I'm sure he played through pain to get back to where he was, and he played admirably. And I think the Fangio defense does fit his his talents well, because it does hide some of his athletic limitations, but, but they had him and then they had Josie jewel and Josie jewel played poorly enough that they benched him for Alexander Johnson. So at no point, and by the time Alexander Johnson came in, Bradley Chubb was gone. And then by the time, like the Alexander Johnson, no Bradley Chubb defense was really hitting its stride. That's when Derek Wolf got hurt. And then the defensive line got decimated. So it's like what you said, like last season's defense was essentially like three different, season's worth of defense. That's really what happened. Denver was completely decimated at points because by the end of the year, they were missing Derek Wolf. Um, for part of it, they had a hurt Shelby Harris. Uh, Draymond Jones missed a game and he played, I think, one snap of another game. And then at the very end of the year, they didn't have Kareem Jackson. So what Fangio did making that defense middling overall is really impressive. And the fact that they were so good in the red zone is really, really impressive because again, like they had Chris Harris who was moving outside for the first time in his career, like full time, and then they had a rotating cast at uh, cornerback two and slot corner in a passing league. So like it's, and they only had a pass rush coming from Von Miller, really. So it's it's really, and I know this is probably the most positive I think I've ever sounded, uh, <laughs> but but it's just it's it's really incredible what Denver did on defense when you really consider what they had to go through to get there, and that's one of the reasons why I'm really really high on this year's team. Because if Drew Locke's even like remotely average, like close to average, and again, if he's better, heck yeah. But if he's something between like the 16th and 25th best quarterback in football, and the defense is remains sort of healthy and takes the jump that we expect, I think this defense could be special. Like it could be a top ten defense in the league. And as long as Drew Locke isn't horrible, that could be good enough to make them a playoff team.
1: Yeah, because we just went through all of that stuff that the defense had to go through, and we haven't even talked about the entire lack of support that they had on the offensive Mm -hmm. side, particularly at that middle section of the season with, I mean, you look at the Buffalo Bills game, and really outside of a couple big plays by Josh Allen and escaping them on third downs, you know, the, the Bills didn't play well enough to win if Denver had an actual offense on the field. And you could make that case for a couple of the different games. You look at you look at the Jacksonville game and the Gardner Minshew magic craziness that he had of evading eight tacklers by the goal line and making that big play, and then of course the big fourth down play at the end and the kind of garbage penalties on um, Vaughn Miller and and things like that. And so, I mean, just even with what they did have last season, Denver still was able to make something out of it with no support on the offensive side
0: like i just finished justin simmons and uh, one of the things i noticed with justin simmons is i actually went back and watched the buffalo game he ended up playing 74 snaps in the buffalo game because the offense just couldn't stay on the field but here's the thing um he ended up playing 70 or more snaps because again justin simmons basically doesn't come off the field i think he missed two snaps in the in the la chargers game the second one um all of last year but he ended up playing more than 70 snaps Six times last year. Oh, wow. And he ended up hitting 85 in the Green Bay game.
1: That's so, a, lot of, that's a that, lot of snaps on the defensive that side. Is a,
0: and the thing is, when you have your defense on the field that much, at some point, the offensive coordinator is going to figure out how to make a big play happen. That's just what happens in the NFL. You can only show them so many coverages before a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers or even Josh Allen, before like a guy like that can figure out, like, oh, yeah, I should go here with the ball. It's just going to happen. Um, So – if Denver can get like something remotely close to average out of their offense this year, the defense will look better as a result.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a good segue into, I mean, let's go ahead and jump into the issues that we saw as we dug into the film and we haven't prepped this really, but I'll throw out there at the end to be thinking about too, is I don't think at least from what I've seen on tape, you look at what they did on tape last year and then the roster this year, Outside of what we're going to talk about with these three major issues, I don't see any new ones that they've added that worry me. Because the concerns that I had last year, if there's any concerns this year, they are ones that we had last year anyway. Like I have concerns at cornerback if they're going to develop, but we had that last year going in and it certainly looks better at cornerback at least this year. So, and I had concerns about the the pass rush potentially last year on the interior. I don't have that anymore because of. Jarrell Casey in his addition. I mean, I do, I do still think there's some development that needs to happen on the defensive line with Draymond Jones and guys like that, but I'm trying to rack my brain just to make sure I'm, you know, since we have been so pretty positive about this, like I don't think we've missed anything from a, other than what we're about to cover. I don't think we really missed anything of glaring holes on the defensive side or issues that are new from last year.
0: Agreed. Yeah. Cause uh, the other, the other one that, and again, this is me just being, I, it, almost, it almost sounds like I'm a worrier, and it's not that I'm a worrier, but it's just one of those things, like, from a roster standpoint, I think about this. Like, I am a little bit concerned about the depth at safety just because, yeah. Yeah. like, if Justin Simmons was to miss time, that's huge. Um, but even Trey Marshall, like, Trey Marshall played better than I dared hope for last year, and another year in the system for him could be big. Um, I do wonder what happens after him, but Fangio probably has a plan there. Like, he had a year to kind of address it, so the fact that he didn't go out and add more talent there is a sign to me that he has somebody else in mind that could go back. So it's not a new issue.
1: Yeah. I think that's a great point. And we're not going to dig super deep into the players yet. We'll talk about that when Mm -hmm. we get into like the, the actual breakdowns we'll, we'll go position group by position group here in the next coming weeks. But you look at what they have at cornerback currently, and it's a crowded room with a lot of question marks, but it is crowded. And so like, you've got to make some, some cut decisions or at least some playing time decisions. If you look at Bryce Callahan being healthy, if Devonte Bosby is healthy, then you have guys who had significant playing time last year, Duke Dawson and Devontae Harris, who I think could continue to develop. Then you drafted Michael O.J. Mudia. And then, you know, I don't know how Isaac Adam fits into the mix, but I wonder just with your point that you just brought up, if a guy like Michael O.J. Mudia, they don't just attach him to Kareem Jackson's hip and say, look, this guy was a cornerback, just like you. he made the transition. Just follow him around this offseason. Learn from him. Learn the defense. Learn his position. And you I wonder if you don't cross-train Michael Ojemudia to be a slot slash safety and outside corner or something in kind of the mold of kareem jackson who played so long on the outside for his career and then shifted to safety because we've we've heard it from the iowa head coach he said i mean they thought about putting oj mudia at safety but they just he was too valuable at boundary corner for them uh-huh. and so he can't and in the the head coach uh, kirk ferentz thought that oj mudia could play safety at the next level potentially if a team wants him to so to so your question about safety depth, I mean, we don't have to solve it here and we'll see what happens yeah. when Denver goes into training camp, but I think that's potentially an option if you think you've got enough um, covered at corner of a young guys to develop in that pipeline. I'm
0: Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore dealmaking
1: across sports, media, and entertainment.
0: Definitely. And, and that's something I'm hoping to look at too. Cause I've heard people float the idea that Duke Dawson could slide back and I haven't seen it yet, but I definitely feasibly because one of the things, and this is one of the reasons why Justin Simmons is so good at safety in Fangio's defense is Fangio does ask his safeties to play more mirrored up assignment than they did under Vance Joseph. And that is a, that is a thing that Justin Simmons does really well. And that is a trait that Michael Ojemudie is bringing from cornerback that could feasibly be a good fit. It's the same thing with Kareem Jackson. Like he's a cornerback. So he knows how to cover somebody. Um, Fangio puts a lot of value on corn on safeties who can do that. So, but no. So what are the three big issues that we're kind of thinking about? Let's, let's kind of dig into that. Yeah. So because uh, we'll get into safety next, probably either next week or the week after.
1: Yeah. So the biggest one, and we'll, we'll break down specific examples and stuff. And this is something that both you and I talked about Joe, when we, you know, put our notes together for, from the film that we saw is I think the biggest issue was just miscommunications in the secondary. And um, you look at, it was either miscommunications or misapplications of the scheme, like guys missing their assignments or something like that. So either they had the wrong assignment from the start, they didn't get the call or something like that, or they actually, they were supposed to pass something off and miscommunicated on the field. And that goes back to, and we've talked about this a little bit on the show and we've written about it several times too is the complexity of Fangio's defense w- with respect to how well it has to work together. If you look at the 2018 Bears tape, I mean at times it was just a um it was like a well choreographed orchestra. Choreographed is not the right word. I'm mixing metaphors now, but it was like a it was like an They're orchestra. Really yeah, playing together. I mean, the way that they shifted and melded together and passed off assignments and guys knew where to be. It was really um, fun to watch. And it's because they did have really experienced guys who had been in the system for a while. They had Prince of Mookumar, They had Kyle Fuller on the outside. You had Eddie Jackson and Adrian Amos at safety. And they had Bryce Callahan at corner. So, I mean, they had a lot of studs in the secondary. That was a stacked secondary. And so you got to think that Denver, I mean, for all the reasons that we've just talked about, can improve that. But that was the biggest issue that I continued to see show up on tape was just guys not knowing where they needed to be or dropping guys in coverage.
0: And one thing with that that's worth bringing up because, like, what, like, and again, we'll probably get into this a little bit in a minute. But uh, Adrian Amos was in year four in the Fangio defense at that point. Eddie Jackson had been in the defense for multiple years. Kyle Fuller and Prince Bukamara, and Bryce Callahan had all been too. So, like, it definitely was. It's, it's growth in the system that makes a difference with them. Because again, Fangio's defense is very complex and there's a lot of nuance to it. So I think additional reps there will pay off and I think that will make a big difference.
1: Yeah, and I think, so just to talk a little bit about kind of level setting for fans as well. And again, look, we do what we can. We try to learn as much from guys, and we watch. We I, we've, watched, we've watched a lot of tape on Vic Fangio and on Denver's defense. But that's not to say we've got it all down or, or pegged. But here's what I see from Fangio's defense: the way that I would break it down for folks is, it's a complex system of if-then statements, essentially, and it mixes concepts from. Um, it's you'll see a lot of the stuff if you go to like matchquarters.com. Um, It's got a lot of split field, like quarters, matching coverages as well. It incorporates some Saban principles and some of his coverages too, even though Nick Saban likes to run a lot more, like cover one and and cover three type stuff. But um, it's kind of a, a marriage of all of those things, but it really, it comes down to a... System of if-then statements, and it's really I, I liken it to an option route almost with wide receivers. Of you, you saw the wide receiver option route really take off. Of like, okay, if they play me this way, I'm going to break my route this way, and if they play mm-hmm. me, you know, if they play me press, I'm going to go this way. If the corner is inside shade, I'm going to go outside. It's the whole Wes Welker deal, right? And so it becomes so indefensible because you have three routes baked into one one route concept essentially, and mm-hmm. so that's how you have you're always you, wrong. Yeah. That's why you have guys like Peyton Manning and the way that they were able to manipulate those option routes just so well. It was so simple, but it worked. And so to me, this is the defensive side of that, but you're having to react to what the offense is doing. So you have to have multiple if then statements stacked on top of each other and everybody has to be on the same page. Like you can't have the linebacker on then and the safety on then when one of them needs to be the if. (laughs) That's probably a terrible analogy of the way to do it. but No,
0: I think it's perfect. And, and that's also one of the reasons why it's really easy. And I did this last year a couple times where when you see a player that looks like they got burned on the first time you're watching it, it's not even always on them. A lot of times what ends up happening is they're trying to hand off the their assignment and the person they're trying to hand off the assignment to doesn't pick up the assignment like they're supposed to. So it looks like – like, and again, and you and I have talked about this before, but the, the, the play in Minnesota – where Chris Harris ends up giving up a big, long touchdown to, uh, the digs he's trying to hand off to Jackson and Jackson just doesn't pick up the route. And what ends up happening is it looks like Chris Harris just lets this guy go. And like, I ended up calling it out. I remember calling this out as it happened, like, Oh man, Chris Harris got burned. And afterwards, Chris Harris ended up going into my mentions to be like, actually, this is what happened. I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> you're so right. Cause I ended up looking back at it. I was like, Oh, I have to apologize. Cause I am so wrong. And again, Chris Harris would know that. Um, but yeah, so like that happens. Like if if it's like if you and I were playing like playing basketball and I go to pass you the ball but you're not even looking for the ball, like I did my job, like you know? It, it, and and that's what happens on the defense is it's easy to blame somebody but a lot of times it's not always on that specific player. Sometimes it's just a miscommunication.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the biggest Things and I'll talk about this um, on the site as well and give visual examples and stuff. But I put I put out a Twitter thread last year because one of the big things that I noticed and this is probably where it shows up the most, the biggest like play or concept that Denver struggled with, and most teams that run this kind of stuff is are going to struggle with this. But Denver was killed by deep over routes all year, mm-hmm. and it started in the Packers game and really took off about the, oh, I forget which game it started, but you saw it in the Minnesota game. There was an example in the Chargers game. There was an example in the Bills game. They mm-hmm. either scored touchdowns on it or they scored big plays and made big plays on it. And so yeah. the majority and, of Denver's big plays that they gave up were on those deep over routes.
0: And, and and you and I, I remember back when it happened, you and I were debating like, what does Denver do about this? Cause I remember you, like we both put out kind of a call to like see What some of this like really really bright defensive guys were saying, and my opinion was like Denver needs a better pass rush. I think that was part of it because I know in Minnesota this happened where Minnesota just sent basically two or three blockers at Von Miller and just dared somebody else to get there because it takes time to throw a deep over out. You need that receiver to get open deep, but if the only pass rush is coming off Von Miller, they have time. And Kirk Cousins got him like Shelby Harris got home a couple times, but he couldn't get home enough. And in the LA game, Von Miller wasn't playing. So like, that was an issue all, all like the whole way. Um, and that that's, I got into an argument with somebody on Twitter a while back about how like he was just saying, oh, well, Chris Harris just keeps getting burned. And some of it, yeah. Like he did get burned a couple times. Like I'm not trying to say he's never gotten burned, but some of that was just straight up miscommunication and, or you can't cover for nine seconds. Like you just can't yeah. in the NFL. Like it just isn't gonna happen. Yeah. And so again, I'm not trying to defend any one player, but it's not so simple as to just blame one player i think it's a whole thing that has to improve
1: yeah and i think what and what's encouraging is i didn't look at what we saw on tape last year aside from isaac yadam i i think and that may be a little unfair to Isaac, and maybe I wasn't looking hard enough at guys like Devontae Harris and Duke Dawson because they definitely got burnt occasionally as well. But aside from Isaac Yadam, I didn't see a just like massive weak link on the defense that the that the offense was trying to exploit. Other, the rest of it was all schematic and communication issues. And so, like, I, looking at the tape, I didn't see a draft like drastic deficiency in talent of like oh they've got to go fix x like they've got to go bring in this much it's just they've got to get the guys that they have really dialed in on the scheme and the system so then they can evaluate the talent i think that's the next step is this this year we'll find out if duke dawson if Devonte harris if bosby if guys like that can cut it from a talent perspective once they all get on the same page from a scheme perspective
0: my understanding from what i've seen with isaac adam is isaac adam just plays really safe Like, he doesn't want to get beat deep. So what ends up happening is he gives up too much space at the catch point. And because of that, he ends up giving up a lot of easy catches. And that's something that it's a confidence thing. I think that has to just improve over time, or he's never going to really become more than a depth piece.
1: Yeah. And so aside from Yadam, and we we can talk about it once we get into the actual, like, deep dive into the secondary, but, like, the way he Mm -hmm. got picked on in the Raiders game and and stuff like that, like, teams were intentionally – Trying to expose him, um,
0: and they on have that them both side. Yeah.
1: and then and then you look at the Chiefs game too. And I think it was the Snow game where they lined up. Yeah, it was the Snow game. They lined up Travis Kelsey as the X in a, in three by one sets. We talked about this when we when we broke down the Chiefs game a couple of weeks ago. They just went to town on Isaac Yadam. and so yeah. you know, aside from that, I think the issues that we saw. I think the we'll, we'll, let's let's talk a little bit about the deep over route of what we saw from there. And because that was to me the biggest concept that they struggle with. And one of the things that, and we got some good feedback on Twitter from some guys who are way smarter than, than either of us. I won't speak for Joey. They're way smarter than me. Um, Joe's a smart We're guy. Too. <laughs> <much> smarter, <though. laughs> no,
0: but, like, I mean, Cam- Cameron Soren is one of the best defensive guy. Like that. I don't even think that's a diss on either one of us. Like he's brilliant. Like he's a really good, like i watched him. Like I, I, I paid attention to his Twitter when he was breaking down the national title game. Like, he he's picking up on this live off of like camera footage, like, like the BC footage. So yeah, he's brilliant.
1: Yeah. So I mean, he weighed in and we got some good stuff from um, Cody Alexander as well, who runs Matchcoders.com. Um, But it, really the biggest issues on the deep over route is it, and this is a staple NFL concept where on one side. And so imagine this, you've got, if you have zone coverage, which we can talk about the nuances of you know, Vic Fangio, is a little bit of match and but he's more he he, he's more in the zone family than he is in the man family um and so if you have zone coverage you have guys that are going to release the the cornerbacks typically they're going to take vertical routes or they're going to if they go across the field they're going to release those to the to the other side of the field they're going to flag it to the other guys and somebody will take them either a safety or maybe the cornerback on the other side so Teams and you saw teams when Denver tried to play a lot more cover three back when Wade Phillips was trying to mix things up and play zone. No, it was Joe when Joe Woods was trying to he took over for the Wade Phillips in 2017. I think this became an issue. And this was when Aqib Tlaib and Chris Harris were still there. And we call this out of like, well, Denver's just trying to play man way too much. They're getting killed by pick plays or whatever. So they need to mix in more zone concepts. So Joe Woods did that and he started playing cover three more and they got burned by deep over routes, (laughs) just like Denver is now. Um, It's just an inherent thing in zone coverage. So you imagine um, two guys on one side. Running vertical. So if you're in zone coverage and you're, whether it's cover three or your split field, usually the corners and the safeties on that side are going to take those two vertical routes. So that leaves a massive, you're essentially clearing out the zone. Those are clear out routes. I mean, you may hit those occasionally, but they're clear out routes for that side to be completely empty because those guys have vacated their zones. It works well in man too. I mean, those guys are going to leave with their man. And then in across the field, you've got a guy on a deep over route who's coming across the field to vacate those sections and his corner on his side has released him. He's released him inside. He's, he's flaring out to take his zone. And so the guy's coming all the way across the field and nobody's there to pick him up, or at least there, there should be somebody there to pick him up for for Denver. Nobody was there to pick him up. Either the, um, the apex player, really the underneath guy didn't get deep enough, the corner that ran with the deep receiver on that side should have dropped off or maybe the safety should have come and cut him. Like you've got a lot of quarters coverage. You've got guys that cut, they call it cutting the crosser. Justin Simmons was really good about this um, when it panned out and they had the right call for it. But Denver got eaten by, eaten alive by that concept a lot. And it really wasn't anything. I mean, it was the same issue every time it was, it wasn't a particular Mm -hmm. guy like it was a different guy every time, but they weren't just, they weren't getting the call. Like you can see, Chris Harris releasing his guy. Um, I'm, if I'm thinking about it, correctly, it was maybe it was the Chargers game. Harris is releasing his guy across the field. You know, he he goes upfield with him a little bit, and then the guy starts to bend it inside to go all the way across the field. You see Harris make a motion like, "Hey, somebody pick him up. I'm going to stay on this side and pick up anything on this side. You guys pick him up as he goes over to you, and nobody picks him up. And so. Those are the kind of communication things, and, and you know, we can kind of go back and and look through. There's a couple different issues. Whether it was the sometimes the apex player needed to get deeper, sometimes the safety needed to pick them up, or sometimes I think one of my, my like my personal favorite is where the corner on that side just robs that play. Uh, we saw I saw that with Kyle Fuller. He did that to Odell Beckham and nearly housed. Eli Manning um, on that play, where you're, you see him. It, it almost looks like he's playing cover two, kind of. Is he goes with the deep? Um, he runs trail with the the deep route on his side of the field. But if he sees something coming in his field of vision across the field, he'll squat on it and essentially um, undercut it. So there's a couple different ways you can play it. And all of those are options that Denver did a little bit last year, but they just dropped those plays way too many times. And it was the exact same concept. Like every week they were getting that concept. So, I mean, that's something they definitely have to go back to the drawing board on. And it's either schematically Fangio needs to change how he's teaching it, or it's really just guys need to make sure they get more sound on their assignments.
0: Well, I think that gets to kind of the second issue is just that there were times where Fangio was running a simpler coverage that the opposing coordinator ended up knowing what he was able to get. Yeah. And in the NFL, you can't do like, uh, if we talked about this with the chiefs, um, and kind of, and honestly, like if you go back and read Steven Ruiz's piece covering how the Niners got destroyed by the chiefs in the super bowl, you'll kind of see the same issue is that Robert Sala ran the same exact coverages based on what the chiefs were doing. And there were times where Fangio was doing the same thing and not just the chiefs game, like he was doing it across because he had young personnel who didn't know, they didn't know the base system. So he was running the simpler coverages, but what ended up happening is opposing coordinators knew what they could get. And then, so they would dial up plays to try and exploit that. And that's something that it was an issue. And, And again, there's times where it's on a player specifically, but a lot of times it was just that they were running a thing that got beat. It's a chess game.
1: Yeah, and to your point, it's if you do that enough, teams are going to find ways to exploit it. And Denver had to simplify it because you you go back to the the first point we made about the miscommunication, like that was happening just on the defense that they currently had. And so you're not going to install anything new. You're not going to. I mean, that to me that was the biggest criticism that I had. And I think Vic Fangio is a brilliant head coach or a brilliant defensive mind. He's a good head coach so far, Um, and. I think he has a lot more potential from a defensive perspective than what we saw last year, like scheme wise, because it was just so, it was so bland and I, I don't say that necessarily as a bad thing because it needed to be very simplistic and very kind of bland for the, the players that were in there because they weren't even, half of them had, didn't even go through camp as the primary guys. You had Alexander Johnson, Devonte Harris, and Duke Dawson playing significant snaps who weren't intended on playing in that and so you had to kind of simplify it and dumb it down but that was one of the biggest things that disappointed me was the lack of really scheming for the opponent and trying to change things up week to week and you know adapt to a particular i mean you saw what big fangio did to the rams in 2018 to really shut okay. down and tailor the the game plan to Jared Goff. And then when they played the Packers, it was just as impressive. They tailored their game plan to what the Packers like to do, and they played really well against Aaron Rodgers in 2018. And so you saw bits and pieces of that in 2019, but they just weren't able to adapt week to week. And particularly, I think, against Mahomes and the Chiefs. Like you would like them, you would like to see them doing some things to specifically take away what Kansas City likes to do and all of that and they just didn't have a chance to do that because they're just trying to get their base assignments down
0: and, and you touched on it but i do 2018 and the fact that fanjo is such a good defensive mind does offer hope that that will improve because he has those tools in his toolbox it's just last year with all the injuries and all the inexperience it was just probably impossible to really do and expect anything better than what they had
1: yeah and that's what the. i mean it goes back to the positivity thing that we started with the reason i'm so high on the defense is so number one and number two number one was miscommunications number two is really kind of the predictable coverages and more bland defenses both of those are fixable without changing a thing from a talent perspective it wasn't a talent mm-hmm. thing at least last year that i saw and they they did bring in more talent so you saw them bring in i mean aj Boya. you could argue as a wash with um with Chris Harris but you brought in a guy like Michael Ojemudia you have Devonte Bosby who's healthy you have Callahan who's hopefully healthy so you have an, an infusion of talent but then each of these things even if they hadn't a brought in additional talent or got those guys back healthy uh, I would still give them a plus for this year just because those two things will hopefully take care of themselves just with coaching and working the kinks out throughout the year or throughout the off season. so I mean, that's why, I mean, their major two issues that we saw, they're probably going to get fixed just by the nature of time in the system. Hopefully, you know, the stuff with COVID and people not being able to get together and practice doesn't impact it too much. We know the guys have been able to watch film and stuff virtually together and all of that. So um, that would be the only caveat. But I think those things are going to take care of themselves or they're going to be fixed by the coaching staff.
0: Agreed. And I would say Todd Davis, Kareem Jackson, uh Alexander Johnson, Justin Simmons kind of staying um and returning uh in the middle of the defense is it's a positive for that specific reason because that's kind of like Fangio's defense, and we'll get into this more in cornerbacks, but Fangio doesn't ask as much from his cornerbacks as a lot of teams do. He asks more from them mentally, but AJ Boy, if AJ Boy is a slight like an, an overall talent, if AJ Boy is a slight downgrade from Chris Harris but he's also a more experienced boundary player that may still be a net positive if he can stay healthy. But the fact that Simmons, Jackson, Johnson and Davis are back, that's where a lot of teams try to attack Fangio's defense is in the middle. And having all of them back and all of them kind of have another year into the system, like that should be an improvement just from them being here.
1: Yeah, and I would would add slot to that. And that's where I think the one big question mark is. And that's where you saw Bryce Callahan be so good is because the slot is such an integral, integral part of that they're essentially they play almost like a third linebacker or you could say the linebackers just become part of the secondary in that regard but the slot you know he'll he's got run responsibilities he's at times he's essentially the overhang player where he's coming up and being the force player on the outside but then he's also carrying guys vertical so the slot there's a lot of responsibility for them and they have to know their assignments of when to pass off and when not to and all that that's what mm-hmm. Bryce Callahan really stuck out and so to me, that's the big question mark, is who's going to man that position? And I think going back, if Denver had the talent at corner last year, I would have liked to see them just keep Chris Harris in the slot. I think he would have been incredible for what Fangio wanted to do in the slot. I think they just had, they were forced to, to play Chris Harris outside because of the lack of talent at boundary.
0: Agreed. And, 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 and I won't go too hard on this cause I, I've said it before, but I do believe if the NFL as a whole valued slot as much as they really should, Chris Harris is the first true hall of fame slot corner. The fact that he had to move outside was really just a sign of like how badly they needed him, but he, and that's not to say that he wasn't an okay outside corner, but again, he's a, he's a 10 out of 10 on the slot. That's why the chargers defense could take a big jump because I do think he can still play that position very well. So, um, but the third thing, and this is honestly the reason why I'm even more high on this defense than like just all the returning players uh, the, one of the biggest issues last year was the pass rush I kind of touched on it von Miller had double the pressures of any other player on the Broncos last year by himself and part of that's injuries like Derek wolf got hurt um, and he had he had I think he had 24 pressures according to sports info solutions I I'd have to check um but that in of itself like it was essentially von Miller and then a big big fallout in terms of pressure um and Bradley Chubb played four games and he's coming back. There's a reason to believe that Denver essentially is getting an $8 million slot corner and they're essentially getting a first round caliber edge rusher back. Like that's, that's reason for positivity. And I just went over drill Casey, I think two or three weeks ago, I kind of lost track of time now, but there's reason to believe that he, if he can stay healthy, he's going to probably be one of the biggest steals of this offseason. Denver got him for a seventh round pick.
1: Yeah. And the money that he's making, I mean, he's still on under contract for at least two more years. And the money that he's making is pretty on par with what Derek Wolf was making, I'm pretty sure. I think it was like a $2 million upgrade or something like that from a salary mm-hmm. perspective. And so it's certainly not what they would have had to pay like a Chris Jones. or I mean, obviously, Chris Jones didn't hit the open market, but they they would have had to pay a guy like that to come in. And I agree with you. Even just, just getting Bradley Chubb back is encouraging. But then the fact that they added Jarrell Casey in the middle is huge for Fangio's defense. And that's not even um, including a guy like Draymond Jones who could potentially develop more. And we'll dig into him more as we dig into the defensive line in one of our next week episodes. But And, and what's what I like about this is they all cascade on top of each other. So the first two issues – like those are all interconnected and the pass rush to me you could call it the anchor or the kind of the blanket over top of all of it the pass a good pass rush covers a lot of deficiencies so even if guys are still working the kinks out if you have a really good pass rush you don't have to cover for nine seconds like you said and you do speed up the quarterback's time in his head you maybe force more um, turnovers than you maybe would have without that with just playing coverage and so they play off of each other so well, so you can't, it's, only, it's almost exponential the impact that a good pass rush can have on the secondary. And you look at the 2018 Bears, and it was a similar deal. I mean, the the Bears secondary was really, really good, and they played great coverage. But one of the other things that allowed them to be so good, too, just overall as a defense, is Khalil Mack and Leonard Floyd were great. And Khalil Mack had a career season underneath under Vic Fangio and his defense, and they had a great pass rush. And so I'm excited. and just as excited as you are, Joe, about the potential of lining up Jarrell Casey, Bradley Chubb, and Vaughn Miller to go after the quarterback and think it'll be a huge upgrade to this defense.
0: And, and again, we'll talk about this more when we cover defensive line more in depth, because I'll probably make it a little bit of defensive front just because it'll cover Johnson too but I I talked about this when I did my film study of Alexander Johnson, but he's a top tier pass rusher from an inside linebacker. He, when he rushes, he's a real threat. And for the fact that Fangio does like, ideally wants to, ideally Fangio wants to send four rushers and play coverage behind it. Um, He will send five, but he tries not to do it unless he has to. But the fact is like with Bradley Chubb, Bon Miller and Alexander Johnson, there's reason to believe that he has some kind of like games he can play with his edge and his inside backer. And then with Casey, Casey with the Titans, he shows off really, really impressive lateral mobility. And Draymond Jones and Shelby Harris also have that. And from what I've seen of Christian Covington, I haven't watched a lot of them yet. I've watched a game, but from what I've seen with Christian Covington, like he has a solid or better lateral mobility. And the fact that you could use them on stunts, And what that means is you can create problems for the opposing blocking scheme without necessarily sending additional players. And that's something that Fangio liked to do when he could last year. But in that way, Jarrell Casey is a big upgrade from Derek Wolf. And I also think in that way, Jarrell Casey is a big upgrade from DJ Reader, who Denver wanted to sign in free agency until the Bengals paid him more. Like if Fangio adjusts his defense to fit Jarrell Casey's strengths and he can stay healthy, Casey is a bigger addition than DJ Reader would have been.
1: Yeah, the oomph that that Jarrell Casey brings on the inside, and the versatility that he has, because he has the potential to line up over the, you know, in the traditional nose tackle position in a sub package, or he can move around all over. I mean, they stood him up as a is a either you know interior stand up rusher or an outside guy a lot of times, just because the Titans were trying to manufacture pass rush from anywhere. So you look at like a, you think of a. Um, a mush, a mush rush, the old, you know, term for it of guys, just kind of all, I think it was Rex Ryan that used it a lot, but just all muddled around the, the line of scrimmage. You've got a guy like Alexander Johnson, you've got Chubb, you've got Vaughn Miller and you've got Casey all standing up just kind of around the line of scrimmage, picking a gap and going after it and attacking it on third and long. And, you know, that that helps your secondary out a ton when you have those guys rushing the passer.
0: Yeah. And what it does is it creates a situation where if you're causing confusion, it, it it hurries up the passer without actually having to send additional like heat. And also there's times that guys will get free. We saw that last year where Von Miller would end up occupying players. And like we were talking about this before where the threat of Von Miller as an edge threat ends up leaving space for Alexander Johnson as a blitzer. And you can do that even more if Draymond Jones, Justin Hollins, um, Covington, like those guys fit into the scheme the way that I see them fitting. There's a lot of potential for Fangio to create a lot of havoc. And that's awesome.
1: Yeah. And we'll dig more into Draymond Jones here in a little bit or in, in next week's episode, as we go a deep dive on the defensive line. But one of the things that I saw is, you know, Shelby Harris, Really, he got, and I'd have to go back to verify this, but at least on some of the pass rushes that I saw on the tape that I've watched so far in Draymond Jones is he was commanding some of the double teams on the inside and Shelby Harris got to work one-on-one and sometimes Shelby Harris took advantage of that. I forget, was it the Minnesota game that he really broke out and had that Mm. um, like three sacks or something like that. He looked really, really good. Um, But Draymond Jones was adept enough in the pass rush game that he commanded a double team um, like help from the center because he was beating the guard. I mean, I thought he looked really good in the snaps that he played. And so it's not just that Draymond Jones will be working one-on-one. He potentially helps create some opportunities for Jarrell Casey to get one-on-one. And so there's... a a lot of talent in the pass rush department, I think across the board now in Denver with the two, the addition of the two new players of Jarrell Casey and essentially Bradley Chubb that they didn't have last year. And then Draymond Jones continuing to develop. And so you put the four of them on the field and there's not a lot of options from an offensive perspective to try to, you don't leave one of those guys singled up, at least hopefully the way that we, we hope Draymond Jones continues to develop.
0: Agreed. So before we kind of kick off, um, let's touch on just, uh, we had a listener ask a couple of questions and I think that's they're kind of just worth kind of, they tie into everything we've talked about. Um, so one, one question they asked was how much improvement does Fangio typically have in year two? Um, and I, I didn't go back to look at the 49ers. Uh, although I definitely can, if you guys want to know more, we can do that for next week, but I did look at the bears. And I go by DVOA in terms of overall stats because I think raw totals, like, cumulative stat is kind of bullcrap with defense just because if the defense is on the field a lot, they're going to look worse. So anyway, DVOA is by efficiency. That's how I typically do look at, like, overall stats. Um, In 2015, when Fangio first started with the Bears, they were 31st in DVOA overall. They were 23rd against the pass. They were the last defense in the league against the run. In 2016, they climbed to 23rd. They were better pass defense than run defense. They were still a bottom five run defense. They made a big jump in 2017 all the way up to 14th. Uh, And then last uh, 2018, his last year with the Bears, uh, the Bears were, and we all know this, the Bears were the best defense in football. They were first against the pass and second against the run. Um, So there's reason to believe that as Fangio's system, kind of like everyone gets used to it, and he gets more players that fit his system, the defense will improve.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting, too, when you look at what Fangio – like, you've got to take the numbers even when we when you look at San Francisco, too, and you got to overlay that with the, the players that were there, too. And so, like, when Fangio walked into Chicago and his first year they were 31st in DBOA, I mean, he had – let's see. I, I, dug a, I did a deep dive on this back when Fangio first came, but he had the oldest – he inherited the oldest roster in the NFL from a defensive perspective the talent consisted of a 33 year old jared allen an injured and 34 year old lance briggs <laughs> a 31 year old wow. tim jennings 34 year old jay ratliff and 32 year old dj williams who denver fans know so that was the cupboard that didn't that fangio walked into and that's just the names that people would recognize um the mm-hmm. only guy that was really worth his salt was kyle fuller who was a young player at the time that was really the only piece that fangio had on that 2015 bears defense. So for him to be able to turn that around in just three, like three, four years is huge. So you look at, you look at Denver and they landed at they finished out. I think like 15th or 16th in DVOA yeah. this past year
0: uh, by DVOA. And this is again, keep in mind, like all the injuries and like the fact that again, the three season thing of this last year, but Denver ended up finishing 13th in DV, total DVOA. They are 14th against the pass and 16th against the run. I do know uh, prior to week 16 of last year, Denver at one point was a top 10 defense by pass against everything, except for number one wide receivers.
1: Yeah, and I mean, to me, I think that's a pretty good number, 13th overall, Mm -hmm. when you look at all the problems that they had. And so for them to have a kind of middle of the pack, I would say, average defense, um, particularly with how long they were on the field and how little help they got on offense. That's not to me, that's not bad at all. And there were a couple games that they played really bad in the Kansas City game in the snow. The defense played terribly. And the Jacksonville game, particularly that was that you know one Leonard Fournette just went ham. They played terribly. So for them to be able to still get the 13th ranking with a couple of those games dragging them down. I mean, I think you could probably compare that to the 2017 Bears where they were 14th overall in DVOA and that's when they had most of the pieces in place And the next year they made a big jump to the 2018 Bears that we saw and I'm not saying Denver will jump to the number one defense next year but there's precedent for Fangio taking a team that was more middle of the pack got them under his system got all the right talent in place and they made a big jump.
0: Agreed so and then the last question and we'll kind of finish with this is what would is there anything that you would like to see done differently this year than what you saw last year? And I know that's a really bad question, but is there anything specifically that kind of comes to mind just offhand?
1: Yeah, I mentioned it and it kind of goes back to number two um, of the, of the three issues that we talked about. So again, just go quick over them. The number one was miscommunication. Number two was kind of bland coverages too predictable on coverages. Number three was issues in the pass rush. Um, I would like to see them remedy number two, once they get guys, you know, in the scheme and knowing their assignments, uh, at a base level, I'd like to see more tailoring coverages and tailoring game plans, particularly for the offense that you're facing. And I think, the Chiefs are obviously going to be the biggest hurdle that you're going to have to climb in the division. And so I want to see Denver come out with a very specific game plan to stop the Chiefs. And whether they only use that game plan twice all year, that's going to be worth it to cook up an entirely different thing. And I don't think we saw enough customization across the board on a defensive on, from a defensive perspective that I know Fangio is capable of. And so to me, that's the thing I'm looking for. And I think that will come once guys get kind of their legs under them where you can adapt. But that's going to be the biggest thing and I'll be looking for next year.
0: Agreed. And the one thing I – and I hinted at this when I did my Alexander Johnson. I would like to see him used a little bit more as a blitzer, um, whether that means Vaughn or uh, Chubb are dropping into coverage a little bit more. I just think that he's a good – enough. he's so good coming forward. And there's more room for growth for him going backwards and playing in space. But he's so good going forward that if the opportunity is there to do it, especially with Casey and like the other defensive linemen occupying attention, I think he could cause a lot of havoc. And I know that's something that Fangio did in the past with Patrick Willis. I know that's something he did with Bowman. And, I, and again, I'm not saying Alexander Johnson is a Hall of Fame backer like those two should be. But, but that is an area of his game where he could make a really big difference if everything around him allows for it. Next week, the plan is to kind of dive into the defensive line. And kind of over the next couple of weeks, we're going to kind of try and look position by position, uh, kind of moving back on the three levels of the defense. Uh, we hope you'll stick with us and uh, let us know if you guys have any questions again at Cover 2 Broncos. Um, but until next week, go Broncos.